This is Hybrid Teaching, Pedagogy, People, Politics, the podcast that addresses the intersections of pedagogy and power in our connected and challenging education environment. It's the audio version of the open access collection of the same name, published in February 2021. The book features 27 chapters of provocative texts addressing the intersections of critical pedagogy and digital technology in our present political moment. I'm your host, Chris Friend, from Kane University. I introduce your authors and read the occasional chapter. This podcast provides one more avenue for accessing the material from the book, which is already available as an ebook, a print on demand paperback, a series of articles published on hybrid pedagogy and other websites, and a pay what you will PDF download available from Hybrid Pedagogy. This is Chapter 7 of Part 1 Pedagogy, and you'll hear Seeking Patterns, Making Meaning. Digital Life in the Tangerine Era, originally published by Hybrid Pedagogy on the 30th of May, 2017, read by its author, Sherry Spalitz. How do we, as citizens, educators, parents, neighbors, and consumers, deal with the flood of political messaging in a polarized and polarizing phase in our society's history? Amid the concerns about the crumbling of democratic practices and institutions, the widespread anxiety among individuals and groups on both ends of the political spectrum. How do we maintain our capacity to be critical in our thinking, empathetic in our relationships, and alert in our engagements? Considering the breathless pace of events accompanied by official and unofficial statements from the U.S. executive branch, from foreign leaders around the world, from mainstream media, much of which we take in through the constant whir of social media churn, we run the risk of being buried by the mountains of information we attempt to process and make sense of. Taking time to think about and respond to questions like those mentioned above can seem like untenable luxuries in moments of upheaval. If this is how many of us experience the current political moment, how are our students coping? How do we know? What I propose here is an approach to information and data sorting which may offer us and our students potentially fresh and unusual ways of seeing the evidence before us while at the same time opening windows into our individual means of pattern seeking and meaning making. This is an invitation to a conscious practice of noticing, described by John Mason in his book, Researching Your Own Practice, The Discipline of Noticing. While the book focuses primarily on the act of teaching, the author suggests that noticing can be applied to any existing area of inquiry and is best suited to working on one's own practice. In the introduction, Mason explains how noticing as a deliberate practice can be applied. Quote, Every act of teaching depends on noticing what children are doing, how they respond, evaluating what is being said or done against expectations and criteria, and considering what might be said or done next. It is almost too obvious even to say that what you do not notice you cannot act upon. You cannot choose to act if you do not notice an opportunity." 
By studying our collections of information and canvassing them for details, we seek out opportunities to know ourselves better and through this process become more articulate and more precise about reasons for acting. What might you learn about yourself and your habits by sifting through your collections? What's in all that material you've read, shared, commented on, or railed against? These sample questions invite us to conduct an informal inventory and may help reveal our individual patterns of information gathering and organizing. Rather than attempting to track events or political figures, this approach raises questions like, in response to the election of the 45th President of the United States, which memes have you found and liked on social media? What are some examples of humor that you've liked and shared with others? Which three to five news items featured prominently in your online forums this past week? Which forms of creative expression have left a significant impression on you? Whose links are you most likely to open and read? What are some things you miss from the time before the election? How much news is enough? How much news is too much and in which forms? In your own writing or commentary, which topics have been most prominent? Which phrases or words have you used most often to describe the U.S. president, his advisors, the current political climate? Which words or topics do you actively avoid using? This serves as a sort of starter pack of questions for students and teachers to begin investigating habits and tendencies. Ideally, this process has three steps. One, selecting one or two questions to focus on. Two, collecting the data. Three, summarizing the findings and drawing conclusions. Most of these questions lean on an assumed degree of social media consumption. We could also ask ourselves how one's take might differ relying on one-way media streams such as television and radio. What I appreciate about this method is that it encourages us to make sense of our pile of data on our own terms, within our own quirky parameters of processing and understanding. And there's plenty of room for fun, surprise, and discovery. It's an opportunity to raise questions about which themes draw and hold our precious attention. By looking at what we collect, we open the door to learn about the why of our collecting, as well as the meanings we derive from what we find. Following the election of the 45th President of the United States, I began taking note of the word stunning appearing in article headlines or tweets. Stunning was often used to describe a certain sense of surprise or alarm on the writer's part. Over days and weeks, there seemed to be a visible uptick in this particular phrase, and I began documenting examples as they came up. Doc Rockets 26, 
Trump's lack of insight and judgment is stunning, even for a severely personality-disordered person. That's all I'm saying. He's impaired. Riot women. An update from Nancy Pelosi on intelligence briefing this morning. It was really quite a stunning disclosure. Peter Dow. Finally, stunningly, lack of political leadership has led to a methodical series of leaks laying out a prosecutorial case against Trump. H-Town 74. Stunning cover of major German publication. Whoa! Hashtag the resistance, hashtag Muslim ban, hashtag CNN, hashtag MSNBC. Hudson Val Strong. Six stunning aspects of the Flynn scandal. M.M. Flint. Stunning, massive crowds overflowing at Republican congressmen's town hall meetings this weekend across the country. Righteous anger. Joy Ann Reed. This is stunning, disturbing, and completely abnormal. Media orgs at some point are going to have to respond to this stuff. When I return to those headlines and the referenced articles, many provide significant claims of inappropriateness of various actions on the part of the new president or his inner circle of advisors. Repeated uses of stunning indicated to me an ongoing sense of disbelief at the current state of affairs on multiple levels. My perceived prevalence of the word stunning reminds me that many within my particular filter bubble are struggling to navigate this brave new world in which our previous assumptions about fairness, respect, and institutional integrity are being challenged. We find ourselves stunned by the wielding of executive power in observably undemocratic ways. Other matters I noticed when I investigated various aspects of my collections. My favorite political news and idea sources are overwhelmingly female. Leah McElrath, Libya Liberty, Shriek, Shakes Tweets, Nana Slug Diva, Miss David, Sarah Kenstior. Their links often draw my attention to important and varied aspects of the morass. A lot of the humor I like and choose to share requires a certain appreciation of irony. I like to call attention to what I see as unique creative expressions in the face of difficult realities. Because I live in Austria, I have some distance to daily U.S. media output. I use the 7 a.m. five-minute news broadcast on Austrian national radio to gauge if what I'm seeing late nights on Twitter in terms of outrage and disbelief is considered headline newsworthy at daybreak in Central Europe. These are just some examples of my preliminary findings. Looking them over, reminding myself of what made me laugh or when my decision to follow a link was rewarded with an insightful read, I can recognize their collective role in providing necessary sustenance and signposts in the disorienting wilderness of events. Wayfinding is a process relevant not only in our classrooms, but in our living rooms, kitchens, and faculty lounges as well. Pattern seeking as a hobby and diversion 
may bring us closer to what we need to understand about ourselves and each other in troubling times and beyond. And once we've identified some patterns, then what? I think there are several things we can do. Before we leap into public action, however, perhaps the most essential work we can engage in is the most frequently overlooked, to sit and be with our patterns. And what I mean by that is carving out a reflective time and space to literally contemplate what we found. The point is asking, who am I in light of these piles of data I've created or circulated? For example, in noticing that I now follow and trust more women with regards to resistance reporting and commentary, I acknowledge being fed up with years and years worth of majority white male punditry. Add to that the simple optics of the current White House staff, which mirrors that demographic in the most unflattering ways, and I become aware of a lack I failed to appreciate previously. Looking at the patterns encourages us to register the various filters we are applying. If we are serious about the critical in digital pedagogy, then interrogating our motives in the actions we take is work we dare not sidestep. We are deeply accustomed to examining outside phenomena in our institutions and systems, reading, assessing, and discussing, evaluating, and concluding on what we see, hear, and think. Our filters are internal, not always conscious, yet essential to our individual meaning-making processes. Often, we forget that they are there coloring our view, skewing our perspectives. Sometimes it's easier for us to decide to march or call or retweet than it is to stop and clarify our deeper purpose. One of the traps in observing some of our online behaviors is overlooking the critical aspect of display. With my selection of tweets, blog posts, and articles that I share, I create an outward image. What you see and respond to are my professed preferences and opinions. Putting things on display does not guarantee their authenticity or honesty, however. Pattern-seeking nudges us to try to catch our filters on duty, to notice the intricate services they perform. Sitting with our patterns, perhaps silently for a time, just looking at them, we may be able to find beauty in the mess and encounter filters we didn't even realize were switched on. That was Seeking Patterns, Making Meaning, Digital Life in the Tangerine Era, read by its author, Sherry Spalitz. This chapter originally appeared on Hybrid Pedagogy on May 30th, 2017. Sherry Spalitz is an educator, leadership coach, and digital interloper at home in Vienna, Austria. She is the founder and publishing editor of Identity, Education, and Power. This audiobook version of Hybrid Teaching is available wherever you find podcasts. The theme music is Where Was I? from Lee Rosevere. 
That song, as well as the text and audio of Hybrid Teaching, are all licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, which means they can be reused with author acknowledgement. Licenses like these make multimedia works like this simpler to create, and I'm especially grateful to each of the authors for allowing their material to be reused in this format. I'm Chris Friend, collection editor, podcast producer, and host. I tweet at Chris underscore Friend and teach at Kane University in Union, New Jersey, on land taken from the indigenous Lene Lenape in the 18th century. Here in the 21st century, the trees are barren and nature seems to be battening down the proverbial hatches in preparation for the arrival of winter. Well, that's it for this episode. Next week, we'll hear Martha Faye Burtis talk about messy and chaotic learning. Until then, thanks for listening.